This morning in our Bible study classes, we started a new study in the book of Romans. So we were in the first chapter of Romans. And when I took a look at that, I thought, they're only allowing a couple paragraphs to deal with the first verse. And there is so much more in that first verse. So I'm going to try to expand on your understanding of that first verse a little bit this morning. And hopefully I'll share some insights that will be fresh and applicable to your lives this morning. So Romans chapter 1 is where I want you to turn. Every day across our nation, in conference rooms, convention centers, classrooms, people are seeking the means by which they can become successful, whatever field they are in. Success is a hot topic of our generation. There have been multitude of books on the subject as it applies to different occupations and different uh, aspects of life. Frequently, they appear on the best nation's bestseller list. It's a rare businessman that does not have some books on success. Beth, I'm sure in the insurance field, you have been bombarded with sales techniques and all that kind of stuff and training in that area. Well, corporations, both large and small, spend untold amounts of money on success-motivated seminars, motivation seminars. It's big business. It's big business. But what is success in the Christian life? How does it come? How do you measure it? What is it? The Apostle Paul, without any question, stands out as a New Testament role model of what success is all about. Amazingly, his ministry touched the entire Mediterranean world in a matter of very few years, and that's without benefit of of contemporary methods of transportation and communication. Ironically, there are some characteristics of Paul's life that we don't normally associate with success. He was familiar with prison terms, shipwrecks, starvation, beatings, and he received constant criticism leveled at him by the very people that he so genuinely wanted to reach with the message of the gospel. And yet nobody questions that he had a successful ministry. I believe in this first verse, the reasons for Paul's success are revealed. Read it with me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Let's pray. Father, as we focus our attention on this first verse that we speed read through so often, Speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts about our lives. Help us to understand what real success is all about. As we come to you this morning, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. First key I want to point out to you is you need to have a confidence in the controller of your life. Paul introduced himself to those Christians at Rome as a servant of Christ Jesus. 
The title used here is more accurately translated bond slave. A bond slave is different than a hireling, different than a servant who was serving in, in, in the household uh, for a designated period of time. He was also different than the tenured slave. That is an individual who knew that there was a day in the future where he would be released and he anticipated that day. This is a different kind of servanthood. The bond slave was an individual whose period of indentured servanthood had come to an end. When it came to the end of that time of service, he had grown to love and to appreciate his master in such a deep way that he had a deep, deep confidence in his master's willingness to take care of him and was willing to sit under his authority for the rest of his lives, the rest of his life. He could have anticipated freedom. He could have had that as the focus of what he wanted to do, but he couldn't imagine life any better than what he was enjoying at that time with his master and his household. So when he, the master offered him freedom, he urged his master to grant him the privilege of becoming a bond slave. If the master agreed, he would take him to the doorway his earlobe would be put up against and an awl would be pounded through, leaving a mark. A mark that was identifiable to anybody that would see him, that he was a bond slave to that master. You might think that as he walked through, people would look at him and say, oh, he must be such a devoted servant to have committed himself and his life to serving his master. No, that's not the way it worked. When they saw him, what they thought was, what a tremendous master he must have that he was willing to commit his life in that way. The glory went to the master. Paul considered himself a bond slave of Christ Jesus. So that the glory all goes to Christ, not to him. Nothing for him to brag about. He used that term in particular to describe his relationship with Jesus. And in so doing, he was saying to us, I have absolute confidence in Christ as the controller of my life. He considered even the scars on his body as brand marks by which he was identified as a slave, as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Paul laid down all of his goals, his desires, and his life before the Lord and became his bond slave. One outstanding characteristic of a bond slave is the absolute, absolute confidence that he has in the controller of his life. And I have to ask you, as I ask myself, have you come to the point where your serving the Lord is more than that of a mere servant or a hireling, an employee? Can you say with Paul, I am a bond slave of Christ Jesus? A missionary once testified that during one of the most excruciating and painful and humiliating experiences of her life, this question came to her heart. Do you trust me enough to thank me for something I may never give you the privilege of understanding? Think about that question for a moment.
There is so much that we do not understand. At stake in that question is what we're talking about today. If she was truly a bond slave, she could give thanks to God for those painful events because she had absolute confidence in him as the controller of her life. And I hope and pray that each of you have that kind of confidence in God and in Jesus. A second mark of true success is what I would say would be a consciousness of his call, of God's call in your life. He was called to be an apostle. I am one, he was testifying, who has been summoned before the Lord and received the responsibility as his ambassador to represent him. Did you realize that God has a specific plan for your life? Each and every believer. He wants you to bear witness of him. He wants you to be his representative here on this earth. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to allow Christ to radiate his life out through your life and touch other people's lives. At age nine, I was called to be one of his children. Quite honestly, the invitation had probably come earlier than that. But it was at age nine that I said yes to him. God calls each person. He invites each one of you to experience his salvation, to know him personally, to understand his forgiveness in your life so that you can forgive others, so that you can one day appear before him unblemished because of what Christ has done for you. It is an act of faith that he wants you to respond. Now at 21, I received another calling, a calling to be a pastor. It was a calling that I tried to uh, explain away. I took one summer and it wasn't until the third time that I wrestled with it that I finally said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. How did I know he was calling me? Knowing is an inherent characteristic of the call of God. You just know that he's calling you. It's a gut level feeling that through his spirit and his word, he grabs your heart and you just know. The point I want to make here, yes, I received a calling to be a pastor, but I received the calling to be one of his children, to be one of his representatives here on this earth, to be magnifying him and glorifying him with my life. God's call is certified in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. Most often he uses scripture to do that. He speaks to us through his word. He gives us specific Bible promises for direction. Sometimes the only thing that will sustain you through one of those bleak moments in your life will be the knowledge of that call, the assurance of his presence with you, that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you, that he will be there with you even when you have blown it royally. He still loves you. He still loves you. It's interesting to note that Paul's assurance in the most trying times of his life came as he reflected upon his Damascus Road experience. 
his salvation experience, his experience with God, where God gave him the calling, called him to be his servant, called him to be, to prepare himself so that he could reach out to the Gentiles. There was an elderly pastor whose life had radiated the presence of, of God in, throughout his life. And they inquired of him, how have you managed to, to be so fruitful in your life and to be so consistent through all the years of ministry? And he says, well, it's quite simple. I have never doubted that I am doing exactly what God wants me to do. You see, I know when God called me to the ministry, and I have never looked back. Can you say that you know that God has called you to be a follower of Jesus, to be a fisher of men, to live a life that is Christ-like, to serve him and to serve others? Do you have that assurance, that confidence, that consciousness in your, in your heart that God has touched your life and changed it? I believe with all my heart that God has a specific plan for every believer. Not all are meant to be pastors. Not all are meant to be missionaries, but some are. Not all are meant to be teachers. Not all are meant to be deacons, but some are. But God wants all of us to be his witness. He wants all of us to reflect a life that is like Jesus and to grow in our understanding of him and our knowledge of him through experience, that people can see Jesus in us. The third aspect that I want to call your attention to this morning is that their true success in the Christian life has a contentment with the circumference of your life. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Paul indicated when the Lord called him to be apostle, an apostle, he set him apart for the gospel of God. He set him apart. That, that word is a very intriguing word. At its very root, we get our English word horizon. You begin to realize that Paul was saying that God had established a perimeter, a horizon, a circumference, a boundary, whatever you want to think of it. And he was content to live within that boundary. Kids always press up against the boundaries, don't they? They're always trying to see how far they can go. One of the signs of maturity is when you accept the boundaries that God has established for you and you embrace them and you find contentment in them. In Paul's life, the boundary was not so much geographical as it was vocational. There were times, there are times where God will set down some boundaries which are more than vocational. He has certainly set moral boundaries for us all. In addition, he does set particular boundaries that are sometimes geographical and sometimes physical. Physical limitations. The most successful people are those who have learned to be content within the circumference that God has set for their lives. I, this contentment, I'm, 
I'm not talking about apathy. I'm not talking about giving in. I'm not talking about indifference. What I'm talking about is accepting, finding the horizons that God has set for us, and being willing to concentrate our energies within those boundaries. And I can assure you that the circumference that he has drawn around your life is big enough. Okay? It is plenty big. It is, it is broader than you will ever traverse, higher than you will ever scale, and deeper than you will ever plunge. It's sad to me to see how many people spend so much of their time envying the boundaries in somebody else's life. They know they have limitations themselves, whether it is through physical limitations or illness that has caused limitations or any number of things like that. God has not given you another person's boundaries. He's got his reasons for that. And it is important for you as an individual to make peace within the the perimeter that God has established for in your life. For example, the child, the family that has a child born with a physical or mental ailment has a choice to make, don't they? They can be angry at God and angry at the circumstances that they can find themselves in. They can complain about how it's not fair and, and they don't want to accept it. Or they can make peace with it and accept the parameter that God has established around their life, and they can become a successful family and find blessings, blessings, blessings. When they accept those circumstances, what originally seemed like an instrument of discipline becomes one of the greatest blessings in their lives. It becomes a springboard to ministry, a springboard through which they can touch the lives of others. This is true for any individual, any limitation that God has put upon you, we need to become content with the circumference that God has established for us. That is one of the key elements to understand success as a believer. I want to attempt to tell you in a few moments' time the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. How many of you remember who she is? good number of you. A few of you are not quite sure that you remember who she is. I read, it, as I was preparing this message, her name jumped to the forefront of my mind this week. And, and so I googled it. And I would encourage you to do it. I watched videos. I read articles. I tried to get what I could out of it because it spoke so clearly to somebody who had accepted the limitations that God put upon her life, the circumference that he made around her life. One of the key things that I found was some reflections that she made on the 50th year of her accident that left her as a quadriplegic. Basically, what it amounted to is she had no use of her hands, no use of her legs. She had fairly strong shoulders. But that was about it. She wrote a book called Johnny's Story. 
back in 1976. The accident had taken place in 1967. A movie followed a few years later. I've discovered that she has written between 45 and 50 books in her lifetime. She established a ministry called Johnny and Friends that provides programs to special needs families as well as training to churches worldwide. You need to understand that Johnny grew up in in an athletic family. She was declared to be the most athletic person in her graduating class from high school. That had been her life. Whether it was horseback riding, playing tennis, uh, swimming, didn't matter what it was. She was an athlete. She saw that as her future. She was preparing to go and become, I can't remember exactly what her goal was, but she wanted to, it was along this line of athletics. But shortly after her graduation from high school, only about a month later, she was swimming out in the Chesapeake Bay. She swam out to a raft. She didn't touch bottom. She was such a strong swimmer. And then she made, as she said, one of the stupidest dives she's ever done. She jumped in without knowing exactly how deep it was did an inward pike, whatever that is, and went in thinking she could come out of it before bottom, but it turned out she was in the shallows. And so she hit the bottom, and she broke her neck. She laid out there, face down in the water, hoping, knowing that her sister was going to come, but her sister was looking the other direction. And it wasn't until a crab bit her foot and she turned around to warn Johnny to watch out for crabs that she realized there's that blonde head face down in the water. She swam over, saved her life. That first breath of air, oh, like she'd never had one before. But soon after that, she realized the permanency of her paralysis And it began to sink in. She was going to be a quadriplegic. She would drive her power wheelchair into the walls. Time after time until that wall would crack. She had early on some dark friends, the way she described them, that helped to numb her depression with scotch and cola. She wanted to disappear. She wanted to die. Johnny was a Christian back then. But her life in Christ did not define who she was. She knew she wasn't living the life that she needed to. After the accident, she searched God's word for any promises that she could claim. But to no avail. I shouldn't say that. She found plenty of promises. She started claiming them. She went to faith healers but to no avail. Didn't God know that she was lost without limbs that worked? Didn't God understand that her life was over? 
She couldn't do what she had always done. Her future was bleak at best. At one point, she decided to give up and just stay in bed. I'm tired of living this life. I can't live this life. I'm not even going to get up out of bed. After two weeks, she whimpered, I can't live this way. I am so lost. God, show me how to live. That was her first real plea for help. Next came some fresh days, and her sister would get her up, and she would plop a Bible on a music stand. She would shove that stand in front of her and just leave her there. She had a page turner that she could stick in her mouth, and she would go back and forth through the scriptures, trying to make sense of it all. Fortunately for her, back in the early 70s, when she was starting to take Christ's lordship in her life seriously, she had some friends who didn't merely tell her biblical truth. Instead, the way she described it, they hooked their spiritual veins to hers. They were true friends. They studied scripture with her. They studied books that talked about suffering and pain and all of this. And they, they were looking and looking with her. They literally were Christ with me in suffering. She spent her 20s studying God's word with these friends. She says, if I was to nail it down, If I was to nail down suffering's main purpose, I would say it's the textbook that teaches me who I really am. She learned that the core of God's plan was to rescue her from her sins and to keep on rescuing her, to keep on working in her life, cleaning up that life, helping her to get rid of anger and frustration, helping her to get rid of manipulation and, and depression and, and all of these things that were crashing in on her. She says, the process is difficult, but affliction isn't a killjoy. I don't think you could find a happier follower in Jesus than me. The more my paralysis helps, the more my paralysis helps me get disentangled from sin, the more joy bubbles up from within. I can't tell you how many nights I have lain in bed unable to move, stiff with pain, and have whispered near tears, Oh, Jesus, I'm so happy, so very happy in you. In another article, she made the statement, God's goal is not to make us comfortable. He wants to teach us to hate our transgressions as he grows our love for him. Every day is a struggle for her. There is not a day without pain. Now, lest you think the paralysis and the scoliosis were her only problems, you need to realize that in recent years she has had bouts with pneumonia, lung problems that she didn't have before, where she could barely breathe. And in 2010, she was diagnosed with cancer. Stage three. 2015, 
she was declared clean. But then in November 2018, a tumor appeared in her lung. They hit it with radiation. She is in remission now. But who knows what cancer will bring next? God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. She said, for the last 50 years in my wheelchair, I have been daily dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. Dying to self and rising with Jesus. I believe she has learned what it means to be comfortable with the circumference of her life. And I want to show just a very short uh, video, two, three minutes, that was recorded on the 52nd anniversary of her accident, July of last year. Andrea, I know it takes some gymnastics, but if you would get it up there, I would really appreciate it, and I think they would too. Hi, I'm Johnny, and I am shaking my head wondering, how did I get here? 52 years in a wheelchair is a, a long time. I mean, even Jesus thinks so. In John chapter 5, the Lord was at the pool of Bethesda, you remember that, and he stopped by a man on a straw mat who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And it says, quote, when Jesus learned he had been in this condition for a long time, that's what it says in verse 6, and when I read those words, a long time, I mean, tears fill my eyes. Because man, if Jesus thinks that 38 years of paralysis is a long time, what's he think of 52 years? Yeah, I think he probably says it's a long time. And so do I. And yes, every day I'm wasting away. Uh, you've heard about the recurring cancer, those new problems with my lungs and pain. Our bodies are just fragile. But I am still on the growing side, the strong side. Because like the Bible says, I'm going in two directions at the same time. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. But inwardly, man, I'm being renewed day by day. My body may be unraveling, but my spirit, my, my, my measure of faith, my assurance of salvation, my sensitivity to sin, my confidence the word God, my hope of heaven, compassion for others with disabilities, my love of Jesus. Everything about my spirit is growing. Sure, I'm weaker physically, but I grow stronger spiritually. Deep, great trials bring with them deep grace from God, all of which enlarges our soul's capacity for Jesus. And that's what I'm celebrating on my accident anniversary, so join me in the celebration. Help me, your giant friends, would you? Share this wonderful message of being renewed in Christ day by day. Help me share with many more people with disabilities all around the world. God bless you for listening and caring and being a part of giant friends. Some of you probably remember her as the one who learned how to paint with her mouth. She'd have a paintbrush put in her mouth and she made some beautiful paintings. She's got a beautiful voice and a great mind. 
And God has used her. Expanded, gave her a ministry to those who are disabled and families with those that are disabled. And a compassion. A compassion like that of Jesus. But you know, in every one of those situations, she wants to share about her Jesus. Because she knows that only through Christ will people really experience the healing that they need to have. The healing from sin. I'm going to go ahead and share this with you. I hadn't intended to. But it was a passage that spoke to me. It was a passage that spoke to her. It's found in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. Jesus had, the day before, had had quite a day, been healing people, been casting out demons, doing all sorts of things like that. The next morning, his disciples couldn't find him. And when they finally did, they realized that he had gotten up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. She came to the realization that while Jesus could identify with her suffering, that relieving her of that suffering was not why he came. He came so that she could be released from her sin and its domination in her life. I truly encourage you to get online, use a Google search. It'll probably pop up with just putting in J-O-N-I. If not, J-O-N-I-E-A-R, and it'll probably pop up then, Johnny Erickson Tata. And just read some of the stories, watch some of the videos. Let God speak to your heart. Because here was a lady that truly learned what it is to be content with the circumference of her life. Have you a confidence in the controller of your life? Do you have that kind of confidence in him? Will you search your heart for a consciousness of God's call in your life? And will you develop contentment in the parameters that God has established for you? You never prepare a message for any particular person. But I can tell you right now, there are some people I wish were here today to hear this message. And if God could use it to speak to their hearts in the way he spoke to mine, you realize God has a plan. And if he's put any boundaries up there, there's a reason for that. You may never know the reason for it. 
but you need to embrace them and learn to be content with those limitations and serve Him right where you're at. Glorify Him with your life. Let's pray together. Father, our lives are yours. They are not our own. I don't think we fully realize that. I think most of us are struggling with that commitment from day to day. Help us to realize that if we've entered into a relationship with you, that you want to help us to grow. You want to help us to know you better. Help us to be more like Jesus with each passing day. There are lives that we can touch that nobody else can touch. If we allow your love, your radiance, to be evident in our lives, we may never know how many lives we touch, but we know that your Spirit can use us. Help us to have that kind of attitude as we face life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.